Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today we're going to look at the Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter, the 29th to the 34th verses. And this is John the Baptist, actually, um, um, telling us about how he recognized the Christ and what the dynamic was between he and the Christ as a result of his baptism in the Jordan. So we're getting a testimony now coming to us from the last of the great prophets. And what that means, of course, is that we have drawn into then our understanding and our comprehension of this event. We have drawn into it the, uh, the fullness of the weight of the prophetic tradition of, of the Old Testament. Um, and, and I think that uh, we, we pay close attention to this because each of us also, while we have the revelation of Jesus Christ and we have it, you know, for, for most of us at least, we have it kind of from the very first moments of our own consciousness through the religious practices of our families or our local communities. And, uh, but nevertheless, uh, we, we run a risk, I think, too, of not letting that go deep enough into us, you know, this was one of the uh, this was one of the great challenges that uh, that the young Father Ratzinger felt when he was uh, when he was first ordained was the issue of how deep does it go. Um, he never questioned the validity. He never questioned the authenticity. He never questioned the honesty and so forth of the people who bore the name of Christ. But he was always concerned about how deep it went. And part of the way that we deepen our faith in Jesus Christ is to become familiar with the prophetic tradition that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that came to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You know, this is part of what, uh, at least in, in in the fathers of the church in the first few centuries of Christianity, it was considered what was the mystery of the faith. And uh, it is from this tradition, of course, that we that we draw the word mystic from. We think of mystic as somehow or other visions and so forth. But that was not the definition of the term in the early centuries of Christianity. It was finding Christ embedded in both the Word of God and in the sacramental life of the church. In other words, it was seeing Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the prophetic tradition being Jesus Christ. And to understand who he is then, it helps us to understand the prophetic tradition that preceded him because he is its fulfillment. And, uh, and it also is, is helpful for us to realize that in the sacramental life of the church that the sacraments are not just simply signs or empty symbols. Um, but they are actually a medium of the presence of Christ among us and within us. 
so that, so that the challenge now comes in the witness of the Baptist. The challenge now comes to move more deeply into the mystery of our faith, more deeply into, into the story of the Word of God embedded in the whole working out of human history. And we find that, of course, also introduced by the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. And so John himself plants the Word at the very foundation of creation. And the deeper we go into the story of God's presence among us from the moment of creation on, the more deeply do we understand who is the person of Jesus Christ. And the more deeply we understand who the person of Jesus Christ is, the more deeply do we grasp his presence in the sacraments, and more deeply do we therefore understand kind of a mystical experience of sacrament. Not a vision and not an ecstasy, but a sense of realizing the presence of Christ within them. And so the gospel starts, seeing Jesus coming towards him, John said, look, there is the Lamb of God. Now, here is, here is an, interesting, an interesting piece of the gospel, too. We always translate this as, here is the Lamb of God. In the Aramaic of the Baptist, however, that the very same term, Lamb of God, is also able to be translated, servant of God. And it is here, then, in this idea of the Lamb of God, of the servant of God, that John connects Jesus directly to the Isaiah prophecies, especially in the 50th uh, chapter of Isaiah on, where the suffering servant of God is, is a constant thematic. And so we, we have that, and, uh, and John conjures up that relationship, conjures up that prophetic tradition when he announces, when he sees Jesus, and announces who he is. He is the Lamb of God. The Lamb, of course, indicating the sacrificial victim and, uh, and the, the servant of God indicating from the Isaiah prophecies the suffering servant of God. And so he said, here is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Um, this is fascinating because the suffering servant is the one who is the prelude to the day of the Lord. The suffering servant, the Lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb, is that which introduces the age of the divine, the age of the Messiah, the age of the Lord, and brings and conjures up within our minds the, uh, the imagery from the prophet Isaiah about the banquet on the holy mountain and on the right ordering of creation restored and so forth. We also know, we also know this is an interesting thing and, and, and quite, a significant, quite a significant thing. In this same Gospel of John, when we get to the 20th chapter, when Jesus looks at the apostles and says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Um, and then he breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven them, whose sins you retain, they are retained. That Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. What did the Father send him for? According to the 20th chapter of John, it is the forgiveness of sin. According to the first chapter of John, in the mouth of the Baptist, the very same proclamation, here is the one who takes away the sins of the world. If we are therefore to be sent as the Father has sent him, then our, then our mission 
mission is defined not only in the first chapter of John, but in the 20th chapter of John. This forgiveness of sin becomes kind of the bookends of the gospel. And uh, it also, of course, is the, uh, is the beginning of the gospel of Mark and the last proclamation of the Baptist and so forth. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So we have this, that we have in this just first sentence of the gospel, an enormous connectivity to the prophecies of Isaiah, an enormous um, prelude to the mission of Jesus and the mission of the church and the mission of the apostles. And we begin to understand then that Jesus has come to take away the sin of the world. What, what does this mean? I mean, d d we, we know that from the 20th chapter of John, we, we gain um, the, the sacrament of penance. We gain the personal forgiveness of our sins. Um, but there is a wider scope to that, it takes away the sin of the world. In other words, the great burden of human sinfulness that has that has created an enormous disarray, dysfunction, disorderliness in the created order. Not because God, you know, we find, why did God do this? Why did God do that? Why did God do all these other things? Why did he allow this? And we find an enormous amount of cynicism about that. I think that we have to realize and understand God did not do that. We did that. And I think that that's I, I think that that's an important part of our spiritual life to realize that the sinfulness that is in the world is because of us, not because of God, and that when in fact these terrible things happen, which they do happen, our sinfulness is a disorderliness and the whole harmony of the universe. And and with all of the criticism of Pierre de Chardin. Um, I, I think that we, we, we do get a kind of a wonderful image of God's creation when he speaks of the harmony of the universe, that, that all things were in harmony with the Lord, and it was according to, to the, the, the image. of. We can use a lot of this imagery from different theologians who we might want to criticize their, their, their system, who might want to criticize their overall view, but they have, can have great insights and this great insight into the harmoniousness of God's creation is something that, that we, in the back of our minds, we can understand the devastation of sin only if we see the perfection of what sin distorted, only if we understand then in many different ways that are relevant to ourselves, somehow or other, the wonder of paradise. And if it's viewed as a great, as a, as a, a great harmony, as a great beautiful um, creation and, and so forth, that, that is at peace within itself and, and, and harmonious within itself and so forth. And then we look at the mess that we live in and we say, how could God let this happen? No, no, how could we let this happen? How could we do this? But because the Lamb of God, because the servant of God is coming in order to take away the sin of the world, it is the proclamation of the redemptive mission of the Lord and the reconstruction of the original integrity of the human person through the forgiveness of sin. And then John goes on to say, this is the one I spoke of when I said a man is coming after me who ranks before me because he existed before me. Um, you know, chronologically, it doesn't work because we know that uh, 
that uh, even in the womb, John is a contemporary of Jesus, but Elizabeth is further along in her pregnancy than Mary at the visitation. So John is actually um, older than Jesus by a few months, um, and yet he said he existed before him. It is John's insight then from his experience at the baptism in the Jordan when the voice spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, that John comes to realize the divine nature of Jesus. And therefore, if God existed before John, so Jesus existed before John. And, and that becomes clear in this one, one sentence. And he said, I did not know him myself, and yet it was revealed to him, and yet it, it was to reveal him to Israel that I came baptizing with water. And so he said, I didn't, rec I didn't know him um, because I did not directly know God. I only knew the prophetic tradition as a young person, that I, I, I knew that we were um, in, in, this, uh, in this very serious kind of a relationship between John and the divine. That John comes to know the divine and comes to understand the divine through, through the prophetic tradition. And so John therefore says, I did not know him, I did not know the Lord directly um, until it was revealed, until, and yet it was to reveal him to Israel that I came baptizing with water. For it is in the baptism of water that John begins to realize fully who Jesus is through the proclamation of the voice, through the proclamation of, uh, of what is therefore to transpire. And so what, what happens then is this whole baptismal event of Jesus and John becomes kind of the moment of recognition, the moment of consciousness, the moment of awareness of, of the drama that is, that is going on around him. And, uh, and so he's testifying to this now to the people that he is, that he is, this is his witness, this is his prophecy. Prophecy is not the fortune telling and prophecy is not, you know, necessarily telling the future, although it can. Prophecy is simply the authenticity of the word of God. It is the authentic proclamation of the Lord through the voice of the prophets. And so the authentic proclamation of the voice of the Lord is coming when John is declaring who Jesus is and what his mission is. And then he says, I saw the Spirit coming down on him from heaven like a dove and resting on him. This is when, of course, the voice of the Lord, we know this is when the voice of the Lord speaks and identifies Jesus as, his, as the beloved Son of God in whom he is well pleased. The moment of revelation to John is the moment that John now reveals who Jesus is to us. And he says, I did not know him myself. And once again, he goes back to this idea that, and to say he didn't know Jesus, he, 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 he knows he knew him even in the womb. He, he recognized him. But saying, I, I, didn't, I didn't know the whole story. We can say that over and over again. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I don't know the whole story of Jesus Christ. I, I search constantly through, through Revelation, through, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, through the teachings of the church. Um, and, and, and I search constantly for the, who, the identity, who is this person who saves me? And, and John says, my moment of recognition was when the dove descended on him and the voice came from heaven and told me who he was. This is, there's debate, did John hear the voice or did only Jesus hear the voice? 
um, it's pretty clear that John heard the voice because he's testifying to that now in his own personal witness. And then he says again, I did not know him myself, but it was, but he was the one who sent me to baptize with water. Um, and so he knows that without knowing Jesus, that Jesus is actually the force of the divine in the midst of the world. And it's something that I think that we ourselves have to reflect upon, we ourselves have to pray over. Is Jesus present among us? Yes, Jesus is present among us. He is present among us in spirit. He is present among us in word. He is present among us in sacrament. We are surrounded by the presence of Jesus then. And it is a struggle, though, in the cloudiness of our human consciousness, which has been compromised by sin in, the, in that and that cloudiness of human consciousness was constantly striving for clarity. And no one ever has the great clarity until there is the actual encounter. There are some saints to whom that great clarity has been given because the Lord has appeared to them and spoken to them. A classic case in point, of course, is St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in her visions of the Sacred Heart. Um, but we know also that that's rare and that's very unusual. And that while all sorts of people might claim a personal conversation with the Lord, that it has to be accompanied also, not by self-righteousness and, and, and not by a sense of privilege, but it has to be accompanied by the good works that we do and by the humility that it brings to us and the willingness to surrender to God's word and God's grace and, and God's providence in our lives. And so he says, but although I didn't know him myself, it was, I was moved by the Spirit to go and, and to baptize with water. And um, for he says to me, the Spirit said, the man on whom you, are the, you see the Spirit come down and rest is the one who is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So this very Spirit that comes to John in the act of the baptism of the Lord is the Spirit also that pre-moves pre John. To, to baptize Jesus in order that he might gain that recognition. And then to testify to the fact that while this, while this is a symbolic act of the washing away of the guilt of the world, that the real power of the forgiveness is in the Holy Spirit, and that real power of forgiveness will come not just as symbol, but is an active force in the midst of the world with the baptism of the one who is to come after John. So, we then find that in this testimony of John, the mystery of Jesus, the mystery of Christ, is kind of interwoven in our midst. And that, and that we too kind of go through, in a way, the Johannine experience, the experience of the Baptist experience, as John tells us in the Gospel. And it's another reason for us to realize and to know that John is perfect. John is the author of the fourth gospel with all of the redactions that may have taken place. And uh, because it is the personal witness and the personal insight from a deep knowledge and a deep relationship with Jesus that John is able to grasp, the evangelist John is able to grasp the mystery of the revelation of Jesus, which first begins in the story of the baptism of the Lord. You know, in the in the in the church in the church itself, 
um, there there is a series there is a, a series of of celebrations we know that the incarnation itself the the word made flesh takes place at the Annunciation, when, when Mary conceives Jesus in her womb, we know that then there's a series of four revelations, which we separate in order to celebrate, in order to be able to celebrate them properly. And uh, the first is, of course, Christmas, which we celebrate as the manifestation. The second is Epiphany, which the Eastern Church celebrates as the manifestation. And then there is the baptism, which John speaks about today. And then finally, there's the changing of the water into wine. All of that then, all of that becomes a very much an essential part of the, of the story of the revelation of the Messiah to the world, to humanity. And, uh, and so it is a foundational principle and a foundational self series of celebrations for the truth and the reality of the church, of who we are and where we have come from. And so, yes, I have seen and I am the witness that he is the chosen one of God. These prophecies of Isaiah are woven all the way through this particular gospel. And we find in it John the Baptist himself articulating the fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah. And in fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah, John the Baptist then himself is the one who begins to show us a process of our own living faith, a process of how we too come to believe. And we come to believe beginning, of course, in the baptism of ourselves, in the baptism that we undergo in order to be, in order to be liberated from the, from the shackles, from the unbreakable shackles of sin, and make those shackles of sin then more brittle and more able for us to find freedom from in, in the course, of, in course of, of our life of faith. Now we go through all of this and then we say to ourselves, well, in some ways I have to reflect on this and I have to reflect on this in ways that I can understand, in ways that I can incorporate into my life. And I think that this is where the life of the Christian in a sense, becomes a mystical life in the sense of mysticism in the early centuries. For it is a discovery of the presence of Jesus Christ in the midst of our world through the various medium and through which he communicates to us and through which God communicates to us the truth of the presence and the power of his own Son. We know, for instance, and we see, for instance, that it is helpful to us to, to know the prophecies of the Old Testament. This was part of the trunc truncating of, of the depth of the Christian method, message in the 16th century, when some of the reformers simply rejected the Old Testament altogether. And I think I've mentioned before the, the, the Zurich reformers, Zwingli, criticized Catholicism for Judaizing. In other words, for having our roots too deeply into the Jewish tradition, into the prophetic tradition of the Old Testament, without which you cannot come to know Christ, without imposing identity on him instead of receiving identity from him. And I think this is, is why what the Baptist says today is critically important. We do not define who Jesus is. 
We do not define how he comes into the world. We do not define his mission of the forgiveness of sins. We do not define his act of redemption. We receive that. And I, and I think that there is a, there's a, there's a very important um, insight for us to have that the experience of Christ, the experience of religion, is not itself, is not itself creative, but it is receptive. It is, in fact, that we are receiving Jesus Christ. We are not defining him, and we are not in control of his presence in the midst of the world. How many people need to know this importance of relying on the prophets, this, report, this importance of relying on the Old Testament in order for us to come to know who the person of Jesus is? And, and, and we, have, we have all sorts of aids and all sorts of assistance. This is part of the power within the Catholic tradition of the devotional, of the devotional tradition that we have. It's part of the, it's part of the role that, that iconography, that imagery and so forth plays, is to help us to come to know Christ, not just as a create, not just as a figment of our imagination, but as something other than us that we might encounter. One of the most important things about our faith is that we are not consumers of God. We go out of ourselves to encounter God. And we've talked about this before, and it's so important, that we do not, therefore, possess the Lord. We actually give ourselves over to him that we might become part of him, which is our eternal destiny, and which is the fullness of the completion of the created order, the fullness of the meaning of the human person, and the fullness of all life is in eternal life, joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot do that by consuming him alone. We must go outside of ourselves. We must be challenged. We must grow constantly in our faith. I think that certainly the people that most of us know that we consider to be maybe the deepest and, and, and really the most profound are not the ones that seem they have it, you know, that they're in control of the whole situation. They got it all together. They know everything. No, it's the people who in their lives continually journey through pain and through joy into a deeper understanding, a deeper under, uh, experience of the Lord in their lives and that they're willing to be more and more open and be transformed by that presence. For the transformation, the healing of the inner person is the authentic encounter with the living God. It is not, and, and, I, and I think that we find, we find over and over again people with all the answers. Well, nobody has all the answers with, with people that, you know, can, you know, that, um, you can have people that reflect and that pray and they can share their wisdom with you. But when they've all got the black and white answers down, yeah, this is how it is, this is how it is. We can't do that. We can't comprehend within our human mind the presence of the Lord. We can't do that. We can experience his presence within ourselves, which is a transforming moment. And so maybe when we look at this gospel and we put this gospel together, we might be able to say that what we have before us is, is a pattern of a growing awareness of who Jesus is in the world and who Jesus is for us. Kind of an encounter with the going out 
of the person of Jesus Christ to us and us to him. This is what love is, the mutual exiting of the self for the sake of the other, not the abandonment of the self, not the destruction of the inner self, but the generous giving of the inner self and the reception of the, of the inner self of the one who is loved. This is the spiritual life. It is not knowing all the answers. It is being sufficiently vulnerable to the love of God that we are able to grow within ourselves and our in our experience and understanding of his presence within us and of what he asks of us in the midst of the world. And we do this as through the forgiveness of our sins and through the immersion of ourselves in the identity of the Christ as he comes to us through the gifts and the channels of revelation, the prophets, the New Testament, the church. It is never consumption. It is always generous giving, for only then are we interiorly transformed by the one who loves us and the one who gradually, over the course of a lifetime, hopefully we too learn to love. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Yeah.